how do the others respond to what Mary has done? When we read Matthew and Mark, we learn that one, one Gospel writer says that others who were there were indignant when they saw it. The other Gospel writer, I can't remember if it's Matthew or Mark, but the other one says that when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Here, John wants us to concentrate just on whom? Judas Iscariot. And Judas here is indignant by what he sees occurring. His mind immediately goes to the financial uh, worth and value of what is being poured out upon Jesus. And perhaps it was this indignation of Judas that he began to mutter, that began to cause and spread as a cancer to the other disciples at the dinner table. We don't know. But here Judas Iscariot says in verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Oh, he sounds so pious, doesn't he? He's able to identify what is being poured out upon Jesus and he immediately his mind immediately goes to the value of the gift of what's being poured out upon Jesus and he uses that number 300 denarii not only to value the gift, but also to point to the fact that this was an entire, year, an entire year's worth of wages for the average worker of that time. So what Judas is saying is this sort of lavish gift, she could have taken this, she could have sold this, she could have given the money to us and to the, the ministry coffers of Jesus and, and we could have put that money to good use, giving that money to the poor. And, and all the others who are around there start thinking to themselves, yeah, that money should have been given to the poor. What a waste. What a waste to pour this out upon Jesus. He's not worth it. We should have taken this and, and done some other things with, with what's being done here. Biblical writers are omniscient in the sense that they fill in all the gaps for us. They tell us exactly what we need to know about even the thoughts and intentions of the characters that we're reading. And John does that for us in verse 6. Why does Judas say this? Does Judas say this because he is so pious and cares about the poor? No, look with me at verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Here's Judas thinking to himself, boy, if I had all that money... I could skim off the top whatever I wanted and nobody would be any the wiser. This would set us up for a while. There would be plenty of money to distribute out to the poor if she had sold that and given that to us. And, and, and there would be such a surplus in the ministry budget of Jesus that I would be able to take from that surplus anytime I chose and use it for myself. And Jesus tells him, Leave her 
alone. Verse 8, he says, The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have Me. Jesus isn't against giving alms for the poor. Jesus isn't against helping and supporting the poor. But Jesus is pro-worship of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. What she has done is an act of worship. What's in your heart is revealed in your worship. Judas isn't the only one who has contempt in his heart for Jesus though. Judas isn't the only one who is ungrateful for the Gospel in this passage of Scripture. We also read about the chief priests in verses 10 and 11 that because of the large number of Jews who are now leaving them and going to Jesus, they have expanded their plot not only to kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus. I thought about this this week. Here you have Lazarus, or here you have Judas Iscariot, a disciple of Jesus, who went about with Jesus, who heard firsthand the teachings of Jesus, who saw firsthand, was an eyewitness of the signs, the miraculous signs of Jesus. Here is Judas Iscariot, who is an eyewitness to the Son of God made flesh and the glory of the Lord who tabernacled among His people. And, and this eyewitness did Judas no good. There is contempt and indignation in his heart for Jesus. He has no appreciation whatsoever for the Gospel. Same is true for the chief priests. In their day and age, the chief priests were the experts of the law. If they knew the Psalms and the prophets and the law of Moses, probably better than anyone else. And if there was anyone who should have been able to identify Jesus as being the Son of God, the Messiah, connecting the signs to the promise of the Messiah, it should have been the chief priests. And no worship fills their heart. They have no appreciation, no gratitude for the Gospel, but their hearts are filled with contempt. What is contempt? Well, contempt is an attitude towards another person or thing when we consider that person or thing to be beneath our consideration. Contempt can be internalized or externalized with scorn. It can be scorn that you harbor in your heart toward that person or thing, or it can be the scorn that's revealed on the, the lips of your own words, the lips of your own mouth. Contempt is not holding a person or thing in high regard with respect that is owed them. Contempt is like the, the employee on the job who is assigned a task and that employee feels like that task is below them and they they whip back to their supervisor you know the words that is not my job that job is beneath me contempt is like the eye roll of the student sitting in the college classroom that's been corrected by their professor not showing the due respect to the person that is teaching them. Contempt is like 
the disrespectful tantrum of a, a child who is rebelling against the instructions and the discipline of a parent. Contempt is like the wife who rolls her eyes at her husband when he says he's taken her to McDonald's for their anniversary dinner. She thinks it is below her for some reason. And rightfully so, I would add. How does contempt weave its way into our worship? It can happen. Contempt in our worship can happen in, in subtle ways. It can happen when we don't examine our hearts before we receive the Lord's Supper and come with presumption. Contempt for worship can happen when we are here presently with our bodies, but we left our hearts and our minds at home. Contempt for worship can happen when our minds are so occupied with all the, the things that we need to get done and how busy our schedules and our lives are and, and, and we're sitting here during worship tapping our foot, uh, looking at our watch, anxiously waiting for the benediction to be, to be given so that we can shoot out of here as quickly as possible and, and go on with tasks that are more important to us. We have to be careful that we don't have contempt for worship when God calls us into His presence. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well listen, just because I'm not crying every church service, and just because I live a busy life, and just because I think there's a proper way of doing things in church, doesn't mean that I have disrespect for the Gospel. It doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm ungrateful for the Gospel somehow. Listen, this isn't a conversation about the regulative principle for worship. It's not about how you manage your busy life. What this passage is getting at is our hearts. That's what we're to see here with Mary. That's why what she's done is so important. We are to read this passage and examine our own hearts and the worship that we do or do not offer up to Jesus, with or without that spirit of gratitude or contempt. How's your heart doing in worship this morning? Do you long for and desire the corporate gathering of God's people? Do you grieve over your sin when the law of God is read in the worship service? And then do you find balm for your soul when the sweet promises of the Gospel are declared to you? Do you find precious reminders of God's grace given to you when you receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? How's your heart doing this morning? Do you find great joy in gathering with God's people and singing the great hymns and psalms and courses of the church? Do they, they build up and edify your soul? What is in your heart is revealed in your worship. If you're ungrateful for the Gospel, contempt will pour from your heart and from mine. Wow. Well, let's look at the positive example here in this passage. How about we do that? What comes from the heart of a person who is grateful 
for the gospel. Well, when a person is grateful for the gospel, like Mary, if you're grateful from the, for the gospel, gratitude will pour from your heart. If you're grateful for the gospel, if the gospel is precious to you, if Jesus to you is wonderful and gracious and beautiful and wholesome, joy and gratitude will pour from your heart in worship. Let's look here at Mary's gift. This expensive gift from Mary. Here they are reclining at table. In the ancient Near Eastern world, they sat on the floor. The table would be set there on the floor and they would sit on cushions and they would recline at the table in fellowship at the dinner for many hours. It was a very public affair. And here Jesus is at the table for this important dinner and everyone is gathered together. And we read in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of expensive, expensive ointment made from pure nard. This, uh, the, the word here, nard, we, they think that this uh, plant or whatever this was derived from uh, was native only to India at this time. So it's, it's likely that this was imported all the way from India. And how Mary acquired it, we don't know. Did, was this a family heirloom? It could have been a family heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation. We simply don't know. But its, it's worth here is emphasized for us in the fact that this just isn't an expensive perfume. It is pure nard. I wonder if you noticed that. It is the purest that she could find. And she took this pure nard, this perfume, this oil, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. And then she did something that was unthinkable for a woman in her culture. What she was doing was already extraordinary. But she takes her act of worship an extra step and she lets down her hair. And she gets down on her hands and knees. And wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see what were likely tears flowing down from her face? as she told Jesus how thankful she was to have her brother back from the dead? Did she sing the great psalms of the Old Testament church that expected the Messiah to come? Did she quote the great prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant who was to come? We don't know, do we? We don't really know. She must have been overcome with emotion as she let down her hair and began to use it as a towel to clean and wipe the feet of Jesus. It's likely she didn't even understand the significance of what she was doing. Jesus has to interpret it for all those who are there. He says in verse 7 that she has done this for His burial. Notice what he says in verse 7, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Keep what? Well, she's not keeping the expensive perfume. That she has emptied the contents upon Jesus. So what is she keeping? She is likely keeping the honor of 
pouring out this worship upon the Savior in her act of great gratitude for all that Jesus has done for her. Matthew and Mark tell us that she poured the contents over the head of Jesus. And so there's so much perfume, there's so much fragrant oil that it is flowing down the head of Jesus and saturating Him all the way down to His feet. Can you imagine the, 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 the gasps of those who were in attendance there? And John tells us that the fragrance of this, look at verse 3, that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You can imagine even the, the servants who were there in attendance and those working in the kitchen as they smell the aroma of the act of Mary's worship that has been poured out upon Jesus. And this she has done by faith in anticipation. Whether she knew it or not, Jesus did. This she had done in preparation for Jesus' burial. And it's interesting as we read on in the Gospel of John, here she is anointing Jesus' body for burial in public while Jesus is alive. But after Jesus dies, Joseph of Arimathea will anoint the dead body of Jesus secretly and in private. I don't know what to make of all that, but it's interesting just to think about the contrast that's here. What's in our hearts is revealed in our worship, isn't it? And if gratitude for the Gospel fills our hearts, well then, gratitude will be poured out from our heart upon the Savior. Back in the fall of 2019, I was given an opportunity by a church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. You may have heard of it. Its name is New Covenant Presbyterian. I don't know if you've ever heard that church before. And in the fall of 2019, the interviews with that church had led to an opportunity to come here to candidate for the job. And we were back busy living our lives in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and I was so excited about that. And I was so excited about it, I needed a new suit. And so Gina Marie and I, we loaded up the car and did what anybody in our position at that time would do. We, we drove over to the Tanger Outlets in Destin and found ourselves at Hagar Outlets, place where I could find the cheapest suit around so I could impress you guys with my cheap suit. And there I was in Hagar trying on this blue suit, and it's Presbyterian blue, by the way. That's a color, so... Just remember that, Presbyterian blue is very important. And I was trying on this suit, and I came out of the dressing room, and I was standing in front of the mirror, and this lady who's old enough to be my mother is there, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at the suit, and I look at her, and I said, does this suit look fit for a preacher? And she says to me, I think so, but let's ask my husband. He's in the dressing room right now. He's a preacher. So he comes out and we ask him, and he says, yep, that's the suit. 
That's, that's the suit to get. Well, thank you very much. So I, I go back to take the suit off and to put my clothes back on. And when I come out, go to the counter, the suit is there at the counter, and I go to pull out my, my card to pay for the suit. And the cashier says to me, this has already been taken care of. The suit has been purchased for you. I was overcome with gratitude, to say the least. We didn't have two nickels rubbed together at the time. And we were spending money that we really didn't have. And I went over to this couple and shook their hands and thanked them. And that old preacher looked at me and I don't remember precisely what he said, but something to the effect of, Preach the Word. Don't give up. Don't compromise. And they left. I was moved to tears and gratitude. The kindness of complete and total strangers. And finally, Gina Marie caught up with me and here I'm holding this suit and I'm boohooing. She's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you're never going to believe this couple. Total strangers bought me this suit. It's a sign from God. We're to move to Richmond Hill. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you and I have been clothed in the suit of the righteousness of Christ. That is not something that we could purchase for ourselves. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is so gracious to us that He purchased that righteousness for us by dying on a cross for our sins. And we are so united to Christ, we are so one with Him that when the Father looks upon us, He should rightfully see our wretchedness and our sinfulness. But He doesn't. When He looks upon us, He sees us clothed in a new suit. And it wasn't the cheapest suit that He could find either, was it? We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Ought we not be filled with gratitude for the Gospel and the gracious gift that we have received? You see, what's in our hearts is revealed in our worship. And I hope you're sitting here thinking this morning, Pastor, I want my heart to be filled with more gratitude. How do I fill my heart with more gratitude for the Gospel? How do I fill my heart with more gratitude for what Jesus has done for me? Well, you need to do, and I need to do, what Mary did. Every good thing in her life, Mary viewed as a gift from God. Every single thing in her life, she viewed as a gift from Jesus. And she did not pause for a moment, I imagine, to consider the value of what she poured out upon Jesus. She had found the pearl of great price. And she was willing to give everything in worship to Jesus. 
the more you and I remind ourselves of the great gift that we've received in the Gospel, the more you and I remind ourselves of how wonderful and precious of a Savior we have, the more our hearts will be filled with love and gratitude for the gift that we've received. And then, what's in our hearts will be revealed in our worship. Let's pray.